series is not necessarily about food per se, right? But it's uh, dinner with Jesus. Uh, I, we're not going to talk about the good, bad, and the ugly of our food choices, although maybe that's another idea for another series. Uh, but uh, food does play a major role in our lives, and uh, not just to give us fuel to convert to energy, to do the things we need to do in life. Uh, meals are a great environment uh, to connect with other people. And uh, virtually all of our celebrations uh, revolve around food, right? Uh, again, we've got Thanksgiving coming up in just a couple of weeks. Uh, what's the primary focus of that? It's the meal, right? We're, we're th- already thinking about uh, some of you might already have turkeys in your freezer ready to go. Uh, you've, you're, uh, you're planning out the menu. You're planning out who you're inviting. But the, the, it's about the food, but it's not just about the food, right? It's about the connection that takes place uh, around the food. The food just gives a setting for it. it. Jesus seemed to know that, and so he connected over and over again with, uh, with, with people over meals. This is the, uh, the, believe it or not, the seventh dinner with Jesus that uh, we've looked at in this series. If you've missed some, uh, then you're hungry. No, if you've missed some, feel free to, to check it out online. Uh, listen to those. They're all on our, on our website. Today, we're, we're, we're going uh, into what's arguably the, one of the most, probably the most famous meal in the Bible. What happened around the, the table there spans segments of eight different chapters in the four Gospels. It's, uh, it's a meal that Jesus shared with his 12 disciples on the evening that, uh, that, that he was betrayed. Uh, it's, it's such a, a big deal that we're going to be talking about it not only today, but, but next week as well. It's the Last Supper, the most famous dinner with Jesus. I don't know, I'm not sure it's in the Bible, but I, I don't know if you heard what Jesus said uh, right before the Last Supper. Everybody get on this side of the table if you want to be in the picture. That's, um, that's what, what he said. Da Vinci painted that. Uh, it's not, it wasn't a snapshot. Uh, nobody was there with a, with a, with, with a, uh, a camera. Uh, but, uh, uh it, it's a mural that's painted in a, in a, in a church in the, in the 1400s in Milan. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci's, uh, rendition of what it might have been like at that last dinner with Jesus before his crucifixion. Uh, we learn from, from Mark and Luke that this was in an upstairs room, right? So in church, maybe you've heard about the upper room. And the last supper, that's where we're at. The upper room, the last supper, that's what, that's what this is. That's what we're going to be, uh, focused on. Uh, we're, we're going to look today at what happened, uh, toward the beginning of the meal. And then next week we'll continue on to the significance of, of other things that happened around the table that night in the, in the upper room. Um, after they had all gathered and, uh, and, and started eating, Jesus got up and he did something completely unexpected. Uh, actually almost scandalous once again, and he told the disciples that they should follow his example. Uh, it's, in fa- it's found in John chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 17. It'll be up on the screen. It's also uh, a great idea for you to follow along in your Bibles as well. John 13, beginning in verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. 
After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hand and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. You are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. You also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. We are used to displays of uh, and, and symbols of authority and power from our leaders. Uh, whether it's a, a military power displaying strength through armies or, or a dictator demonstrating his power through persecution of his people or uh, corporate bosses showing their leadership through intimidation or layoffs or manipulation uh, or even in, in current news, uh, an entertainment giant who purportedly has used his power to control women for his own pleasure. We, we see displays of power and control many times uh, uh, from, from people that are in charge. You, you've heard the saying, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely, right? And, and that's, that tends to be true. And, and that might be the big reason why Jesus, the guy with the most power, the guy with absolute control, the son of God himself, did not come with manipulation and authority on his mind, but only one thing on his mind, and that thing was love. His power shown in love. This tells us at the beginning, I love the way John kind of puts uh, context on this. Jesus knew where all this was headed. He knew where he had come from. He he knew that his time on earth was quickly fading. He, He knew that his father had given him, it says there, had given him complete power. Everything was under his feet. He was the son of God. All things were under his control. In any other scenario, uh, in any other uh, human leader, if they realize the power that, that, that they could wield, it usually doesn't turn out well, right? If this was some Hollywood blockbuster, it might have gone a little bit differently. Maybe we'd read, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the table, his eyes glowing blue, flexed his muscles, grabbed Judas by the throat and threw him out that second story window, right? You've, that might sell actually. I mean, I think, I think we've got something going here. Then he he knew where the Pharisees were meeting, and so he took the disciples, and they all flew there, and they blew the place up. Right? Uh, we could we could go into all sorts of circumstances. That's what we would maybe expect if someone figured out that they had all power and everything was under their control. What are they going to do with that? Well, wipe that out of your minds, because that's not at all what Jesus was all about. When Jesus had a firm vision of the power that he wielded, he didn't do any of that. Instead, he grabbed a towel and a bowl of water and he started washing dirty feet. It's, if you spend any time contemplating that, it's almost, 
almost uncontemplatable. It just made up a word there. Isn't that cool? Jesus had been living virtually 24-7 with these guys around this table for the last three and a half plus years, right? He loved them, plain and simple. He loved them so much, and he wanted to show them not only how much he loved them, but he wanted to show them what it would look like if they would love each other because he knew he wasn't going to be around much longer. He wanted to show them how to truly impact the world, that ultimate power rests in love, not in control or position or aggression or coercion. I, I, I love this uh, this shirt I saw recently. Um, go ahead and show that. There's Jesus sitting with the uh, with the other superheroes, and that's how I saved the world. Um, see, Jesus, it's a little bit of a different picture than what maybe Iron Man or Captain America would have done. I'm thinking if Jesus had a superhero outfit, uh, he wouldn't have a big S on his chest or a big red, white, and blue shield or anything like that. Maybe it would be the symbol of a, uh, a bowl of water and a towel because real power rests in, lives in love. Think about it. The, the guy with all the power, the guy who, who knows what real power is, the guy who can heal the sick, cast out demons, he's even raised the dead at this point, and, and yet he showed them that, that, that love triumphs over control. Love. Uh, we kind of think about love. Oh, it's that foo-foo. Whatever. Jesus said it all comes down to love, and, and, and not just a love that says, oh, I love you, but a love that serves, a love that is active. Apparently, because this uh, uh, th- th- this group was just borrowing the room for the evening, there weren't any uh, servants to take up uh, take care of the uh, the common common sur- courtesies that would have taken place uh, uh, normally if someone was hosting a meal. Um, I think we've talked about in this in this series before that, that it would be common for a servant to wash people's feet as they came in came in the room. Uh, it was it was a a, a dirty environment where they uh, where they lived and they there weren't any cars they they uh, maybe were riding animals from time to time but usually everybody walked and they usually were wearing sandals and so uh you know the roads weren't paved uh th- there were farm animals that shared the same roads if you get my drift uh when it rained it was muddy when it was not rainy it was dusty uh any way you looked at it feet were getting dirty just walking out the door that's just what it was that's part of the culture and, and and let me remind you they didn't uh they didn't sit at tables like we do today in chairs with their feet underneath kind of hidden away a little bit uh, they were reclining at low tables probably on cushions of some sort and uh it, you were a lot closer to your neighbor's feet than maybe you wanted to be. We can just put it that way. It, it was, it, it would not be a pleasant thing for anyone if feet had not been washed before you're eating. Nobody's going to enjoy the meal that way. So maybe a relatable task, something that nobody wants to do but really needs to be done. I, I don't know. Uh, Work in the plunger at home. Maybe that's something we can think about in the same vein here. Uh, a demeaning yet a very necessary job. That's kind of the, uh, the, the the place where we're in when we're talking about washing feet. Now, if uh, if if we had read the other accounts of the uh, of the Last Supper, we'd know that at some point during the meal, it seems that the disciples got into a bit of an argument. They were kind of whispering and talking about them, uh, talking between themselves about who was more important. 
Uh, maybe you've read that in, in some of the other uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We read uh, this, this story out of, uh, out of John. Uh, they tell this, uh, this detail about uh, the disciples kind of bickering and arguing. I'm more important than you. And I just wonder, and I think it's probably safe to say, it's a good bet that uh, perhaps all that came up when they started arguing about who was going to wash feet. Well, I'm not going to wash, it's below me. I, I'm more important than you are. You need to wash the feet. Well, I'm not going to wash the feet. You wash it. And, and they, they started, you know, they're going back and forth and, and Jesus figured out something was going on. But, but instead of, instead of, uh, uh, appointing someone to, uh, to, uh, to, to wash the feet and to say, well, you are more important than him. Uh, you know, you're kind of low guy on the totem pole. You go ahead and Jesus got up and he showed them what love looked like. He got down, he got dirty, and he washed their feet. All of them. He, he, he taught them by showing them. Now, you realize that Judas had not yet left the room. I think this is a significant thing. Judas, the man who was about to betray Jesus, is sitting there in the room, and he would have been one of the folks that uh, who, who got his feet washed by Jesus. Not sure what that interaction would have been like. Um, but Jesus did this, and we read the interaction there with, uh, with Peter as well, where Peter said, well, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, well, yeah, I am. <laughs> and um, went through all that. But after all of that, basically Jesus explained himself. And he said, I'm your teacher, I'm your leader, I'm your Lord. And I just washed your feet. You need to wash each other's feet. Now, there's some theological circles, some denominations, some churches, even to this day, uh, they've taken this command of Jesus uh, uh, to physically wash each other's feet, and, uh, and, and they've, uh, they've, they've said, hey, that's a, that's a sacrament that the church needs to practice, uh, that, that this needs to be something that, that we do uh, regularly, kind of like communion. Uh, it's, it's something that Jesus did that we need to do, kind of like baptism, and, and uh, there are churches that, that have done that, uh, and, and, and that's fine. I, I don't know if you've been a part of a... Uh, 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 a foot washing service. I've been uh, uh, participated in several over the years, and it's a it's a, a humbling, unifying experience, uh, both for the person washing feet and for the person whose feet are being washed. It's a it's a very meaningful thing. But I believe that uh, whether you do that uh, as a regular part of your your worship experience, that, that that's fine. But I believe the the significance goes even even deeper than just physically washing feet. Jesus didn't do this so we'd add a new ritual to the list. As, as one commentator says, to do as I have done, Jesus said, okay, now do as I have done. Wash each other's feet. He says, to do as I have done will take every disciple down unpredictable pathways where no water or towel will be in sight. It's so much more than just about getting some feet clean. It's an example of the heartfelt servanthood and love that should characterize the church. Wash each other's feet. Grab the plunger if you have to. Whatever helps you get this uh, cemented in your mind. No one is greater than any other. Let's love and serve each other. That's the point. That's where Jesus is getting to. And that's easy to say, and that's that's a, a feel-good kind of thing to preach. And yes, we need to love each other. We need to encourage each other and and and, and all those kinds of things. It's, it's easy to say. It's not as easy to do because feet stink. And we tend to look down on people sometimes. And Jesus told his disciples to do as he had done, not because people deserved to have their feet washed, but to do it because of love. There's a story of a man and his wife who were awakened by a, a, a banging on their back door at around 3 o'clock in the morning. The man uh, got his, 
his robe and slippers on and made his way downstairs and opened the door. And there's this, uh, there's this drunk guy standing at the back door. And he says, uh, the, the man of the house said, well, can I help you? What's going on? And he said, can I have a push? The guy said, no, you can't have a push. It's three o'clock in the morning. It's pouring down rain. Uh, I'm not even dressed. I'm trying to sleep. Uh, no, you can't. And he slammed the door and went back to bed. And his wife said, well, what was it? What's the deal? Well, oh, it's this guy, this drunk guy, and he's in the back door, and he's, he, he needs a push. She's, she said, well, did you help him? No, I didn't help him. It's pouring down rain. It's 3 o'clock. In the I didn't help him. And she said, well, what about that time a couple years ago when we broke down on the side of the road, and we didn't have anywhere, to, any, any way to, 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 to help, and those, those guys pulled up, and they helped us out, and they got us where we needed. I, th- I really think you should, you should return the favor, pay it forward, do, do something, help this guy out. And, oh, well, he harumphed and guffawed there for a little bit and finally uh, got out of bed and, and uh, got, his, uh, got his clothes on and went on down and opened the back door again and stood out on the back porch, pouring the rain and pitch dark out. Finally kind of yells out into the, the, the darkness. He said, are you still there? And, and out a little ways he heard, yeah. Well, do you still need a push? Yes, please, he said. Well, where are you? Over here on the swing. One of my favorite stories of all time. This is not about serving those who deserve to be served. If so, Jesus would have only washed his own feet that night, right? None of those guys around that table deserved to be served, especially Judas, right? And Jesus knew exactly what was, I mean, we read it right there. Jesus already knew who was going to betray him, and yet he served all of them. He loved all of them. His motive was one of love, not one of paying back because of something they deserved, in the same conversation around the same table, like I said, it's, uh, this, this is dis- described in several different places over many, many chapters. So a whole lot happened around that table that night. But, uh, uh, in, in, literally in the same chapter, just, uh, just a few verses down, beginning in verses 34 and 35, Jesus continued on this theme of love. And he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Three times in two verses, uh, a command is given, love one another. You must love one another. Uh, They'll know you're my disciples if you love one another. He starts it with, a new command I give you. And and, uh, initially, I read that and I go, Jesus, this ain't nothing new. This is not a new command. Uh, from, from, from days of old, uh, Jews uh, knew the, the, the big commands were love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Uh, th- these are not new commands. <laughs> Jesus had even verified that when someone asked him, uh, what are the, what's the, the greatest commandment? And, and he says that, that love God uh, and, and love your neighbor, those, that sums up all the other laws. I'll put them all into one. That's it. If you're doing that, then that's it. And, and that's a pretty tall order to, uh, to, to, to love God with all our hearts and to love our neighbor even as much as we love ourselves. But Jesus, around that table in the upper room, found a way to raise the bar even more because he didn't say you should love each other as you love yourself. He said, as I have loved you, so you should love one another. He repeated it again, John 15, a couple chapters later, uh, here in the same gospel, he said virtually the same thing. Uh, As I have loved you, you must love one another. He says that our standard of loving one another 
should be rooted in not how much we love ourselves, but how much he loves us. So how did Jesus love us? If we're supposed to love each other like Jesus loves us, then we need to know how Jesus loves us. Well, first first off, for starters, he took off his outer garment, he poured water into a basin, he grabbed a towel, and he washed feet. The greatest, most powerful person in the room, the greatest, most powerful person in the universe, took off his outer garment, poured water into a basin, and washed feet. How should we love one another? Like Jesus loves us. He just shown them what kind, what his kind of love looks like. And, and, and from our perspective now, we're looking back, back through history and we see that, that later on that, that weekend, within the next few hours, we see the extent of Jesus' love, right? We see what his love meant as he went all the way to the cross. Jesus, the Son of God, with all things under his power, ultimate control, chose to humble himself, submitting to torture and pain and death, to pay for our sin, to restore our relationship with God, all because of his love for us. Jesus' love is the epitome of selfless serving love, intent on doing whatever is best for the other person. And he says that's how we should love one another like he has loved us. As I have loved you, so you should love one another. Now, there are a lot of places in the Bible when we're we're told to love people um, in the world, people that we encounter. It even says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. We've even done that today. Right here, However, Jesus is talking, this is kind of an insider command. He's talking to the church. He's talking to the, these 12 guys that he has gathered around and he says, you guys right here, you need to love each other. The guy across the table, I know they were all on one side of the table. I guess there's nobody across the table, but, uh, the, the, the guy next to you, the, the, the guy that, that gets on your nerves, the, the, the guy whose feet stink, whatever. You, you need to love each other, to serve each other, to wash one another's feet. Yes, we need to love people out there in the world, right? But but this right here, in this section right here, Jesus is saying, love each other like I love you. And we have to ask ourselves today, a couple thousand years later, does that characterize the way I feel toward the person sitting in the other section this morning? Or the person in the church across town? Or that, fill in the blank. Am I loving other people like Jesus loves me? One theologian put it this way, we want to believe that a living relationship with God is possible while our relationships with others languish. If you want to know what kind of fellowship I have with God, examine my relationships with other people. Being rightly related to each other is hugely significant in being rightly related to God. You can't have a thriving relationship with God and be causing hurt and division in his body. You can't be close to Jesus while you're holding a grudge towards someone across the aisle. Maybe this is a strong statement, maybe not, but I believe that nothing hinders the work of God in the world more than a divided church. Nothing hinders the work of God in the world more than a divided church. 
church. The devil would like nothing better than to cause division and disharmony. Now, now I believe, before you think that I'm going to start bringing up names and that uh, people are all, you know, misbehaving around here, uh, I think we get this. I see evidence over and over and over again of the unity and uh, a lack of division uh, here in, in, uh, in, in our church. I know that there's always room for improvement and we, we can go through, uh, certain things and, and, uh, but I see people caring for each other and, and serving each other and, and, uh, and, and, and obviously we need to keep it up. We need to continue to do that. We need to look for ways to serve. We need to love each other well. It also needs to happen between churches and denominations too. God has, has one church. It's not that God has churches, right? And so if we can believe in the, in the, in the core of, of who Jesus is and what he has done for us, ah, there's a lot of other peripheral things and maybe we disagree on, on, uh, structure or, or, uh, service types or all those kinds of things, but, but there is a, a, a unity that needs to take place in the body of Christ, not just within these walls, but in other denominations as well. We need to, we could do a lot better at focusing on what unites us instead of what divides us. When I first uh, moved to town here, it, it was my, uh, and still is, my, my, the only time I've been the senior, pa- can you call it the senior pastor if you're the only, pa- the, until just a couple of years ago when Diana came on, uh, but uh, lead pastor, can we, uh, whoever, Reverend Ryder, that's what you all need to call me from now, no, I'm just kidding. They're laughing at that. Dick Turp always called me Reverend Ryder, and... Um, no one has filled that role since uh, uh, since Dick has uh, has has gone on to heaven. So I would challenge you to. No, I'm just kidding. You don't. The right Reverend Ryder. There we go. That's good. It all. It's kind of alliteration and all that. I think it fits. No. When I moved, I, I probably had that. Um, uh, when I first moved into the role, I, I probably had that edge to me. Like uh, you know, I want that uh, kind of. And, and I guess. What I'm getting to is that, uh, that, that I saw the other churches in town and the other pastors in town as my competition, right? Uh, that we, uh, we need to do church better than them so that folks will go to my church, not their church. Don't judge me. That's just where we were at, okay? That's where I was at, okay? Um, it didn't take long for me to see that those pastors in town are my brothers and my teammates and my sisters, and that we are together working toward bringing the kingdom of God in this corner of the world where we live. That, that we, we meet just, just a couple days ago. We met again. We meet uh, at least once a month and, and just enjoy a meal together and shoot the breeze and also talk about what's going on in ministry and in our personal lives and we pray together. And, and uh, it, it didn't take me long to realize that we're on the same team, that we're not in competition with each other. We have, uh, we plan for ministry together from time to time throughout the year. I'm sure we could do more than, than we do now, but we're, we're, we're doing, uh, some things that will seek to be a divided and, uh, a, a unified instead of a divided church. We need to love each other like Jesus loved us. Because he says that's how people will see him. Love each other as I have loved you. Uh, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
Notice he didn't say living like he lived. Now, he says that in other places, again, and, and we should live like he lived. But, uh, but, but, but the church over the years, I think, has gotten hung up in outward appearances of things and, and making these, these uh, rules and regulations and laws, uh, lifestyle issues, and all those things are important. Uh, uh, those things uh, should flow out of our relationship with God and our relationship with the other. But, but, but we will not win a dying world to the truth of the gospel by hitting them over the head with rules rules and looking down our morally superior noses at their sinful ways or even by policing what people do and bickering about what we like or don't like. People in the world will know who we're following and will be drawn to him not because we're living well but because we're loving well. I'm not diminishing the living well part, and we need to do that, and we need to be God's holy people in the world. That's when we love the best, but but we need to recognize that everyone will know that we are Jesus' disciples when we love each other. Jesus will draw people to himself through our love, not necessarily through our lifestyle. In, in that, on that night in the upper room, Jesus saw a need. There was a need. They had stinky, dirty feet, and somebody needed to take care of it. And he met the need, not just with water and a towel, but he met the need ultimately with love. He cared for them. And it was so radical that we're still talking about it today. John, who wrote these words in that gospel, uh, John was, uh, was around that table that night. One of, the, one of the 13 people gathered there. One of the 12 that heard Jesus say these words. One of the 12 that had his feet washed by Jesus. He was, uh, he was the one that lived the longest out of all the disciples. Many of them were, were martyred along the way. Uh, different, uh, different things, uh, happened with them and they were uh, martyred for their faith. John, for some reason, uh, lived a long, long time and became an old, old disciple in the faith and continued to minister. Uh, we have the book of Revelation and his vision of what's going to happen at the end of time. Uh, folks, uh, believe that happened when he was, uh, well along in years. It's, it's said that John, who was uh, uh, living as, a, as an older man in, in Ephesus toward the end of his life, he didn't have a lot of strength to, to get up and, and to speak uh, for, for uh, sermons and those kinds of things. And so he would simply, in his interactions with other people and even in front of groups of folks, uh, they, they say that, that the Apostle John would, would repeat the phrase, uh, I'll give it to you in English, let us love one another, let us love one another. He would say, and I can just picture, uh, you know, in that maybe a, a, a soft, uh, trying to gear up his, his energy to be able to say even that, let us love one another. Let us love one another. And some of his followers, uh, reportedly asked him why he always repeated just that one phrase. Yeah, we got it. We got it. Uh, we, we heard you say that last week. Uh, let us love one another. Let us, why do you keep saying, let us love one another? And, and John is said to have replied, because it is the Lord's command, and if that alone is done, it is enough. If that alone is done, it is enough. Love one another like Jesus loves you. Washing dirty feet. If that alone is done, it is enough. We have to, we have to ask ourselves, am I, am I loving one another? Or are there things that, that need to be addressed? Are there, are there people that I need to talk to or, or forgiveness to be asked or, or forgiveness to be granted or 
crow to be eaten. I, I don't know. It, it, this is this is a big deal, and maybe some things that we kind of sweep under the carpet sometimes. We don't follow Jesus alone. We are in this together. And if God is ever going to accomplish his plans through us, through his church, the body of Christ, it will only be if and when we truly love one another. Today we're not going to have an uh, uh, official invitation. Uh, we're not going to sing a song and ask you to, to, to pray or come forward because I think the, the response to this, although uh, the, the beginning of the response could happen in a moment like that, I think the real response happens in the hard work of wrestling with who I need to go talk to today, this week, this month. Who, uh, what, what needs to be addressed in my, are my relationships all up to date? Am I, am I, uh, sitting with, with Jesus and saying, is there anything that I need to do to love one another more? Are you living out what Jesus is talking about? Are there attitudes that you need to address or, or forgiveness to grant or to ask. Sometimes sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is to humbly approach someone in obedience to the Spirit's nudging. Are we okay? <laughs> Everything all right? I love you. I love you. Let's stand together and we'll pray. And then if you're mad at somebody, go talk to them right now. We're going to seek the Spirit's direction in this, and you will. Uh, and 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 the, the the commitment that we need to make, all of us, individually and together, is that my deepest desire is that I love each other, that we love each other well. And if there's anything that we need to do in order to make that happen, we're ready to do it as the Holy Spirit leads. Father God, we thank you for the body. The church. We thank you for the people that you brought into our lives. Those that are uh, those that are gathered in this room today. Those who couldn't be with us today. Uh, those who are gathered around this city today. Those who are literally we're linking arms with folks literally around the world. Lord, we've already focused on that and and thought about those who are facing persecution. They're part of the body. We need to love them well. There are folks that, that, that we don't even think about much that we would do well to think more about in order to love them well. There, are, there could be relationships that need to be mended. Only you can guide us in that, Lord, and I pray that you would do that. I pray that you'll give us the, the, uh, the desire, the energy, the, the courage to love, to step out, and to love each other. Lord, I thank you for this body, your church, and the unity that, that, that we have, uh, uh, we, that we continue to experience, uh, in our church. Lord, we don't want to, we don't want to lose that or have that be anything that, uh, that, that slips away. And so I pray that you'll help us to keenly be aware of how we love each other. Lord, we love you. <laughs> we love you with all of our hearts and we know that it's only when we love each other, that we can love you well. And it's only when we love you that we can love each other. And so we pray that you would pour your love in us and through us into the lives that we encounter, that we can truly be your hands and feet, that we can love each other as you have loved us so that others will know that we are your disciples. Thank you for today. We pray that you would go with us, that the power of your spirit would enable us to do just that. In Jesus' name we pray.